computer. Check, check, check. Yo, 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 yo. first. Oh shit, it's first of May. Hey, happy May Day. Happy rent day. Did you pay your mortgage? Uh, what does that have to do with May Day? Well, it, I mean, <laughs> it has nothing to do with May Day, but that's the first of the month. Pay up, pay up. Are we supposed to sing like the international? Isn't that the, uh, the like the worldwide mm-hmm. song mm-hmm. of humanity for, for labor? No, we, we're in a capitalist society. The question is, did you forfeit your mortgage and protest rent, or did you pay your rent? That's the question at hand, Ben. I don't, I don't have rent. I have mortgages. <laughs> did you pay? So, yes, long story short, I have paid my mortgage because it's automatic payments, which is rather upsetting. Why didn't you just go, like, why didn't you just take it off automatic? I don't, I know. There's like a weird, like, guilt thing, no? What the system, man? You know, I did that in 2008. Man. Do it. Call your mortgage company. They'll give you a defer. Anyway, this is not a financial consulting (laughs) podcast. Hey, a shout out to the 20 people that listened. Whoever Not you are. One of which were my mother. <laughs> no, no, your mom does not go on SoundCloud. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Not that hit. Um, yeah, so I guess we're doing episode two of this fake podcast. Because episode one was, was an internationally acclaimed. 20, 20 views or 20 listens. Yeah. 20 listens which is far exceeds our three that we originally thought we were going to get. Wow. How many did you that, think we'd have the second one? Honestly, I thought five. If we could get five, if we could get five listens, well, which, we, which we like blew that out of the park, bro. I think Killed that we, it. whatever we started with a few minutes ago, we've already dipped to half of that because of the direction we were going in financial advice no way man people need to know did you pay your rent or not i guess we're giving the people what they need maybe not what they want <laughs> i mean bo- both did you see the the latest verses headline oh, that uh, yeah this is uh, uh uh let me let me think about this, this is uh, lauren hill no uh, it's jill scott and versus badu no, it was Badu versus Lauren Hill. No way, dude. It was Jill Scott. She said she'd decimate me or she'll destroy me. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought it was Jill Scott versus Lauren Hill. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it's Badu versus I mean, Hill. sorry. Um, Badu versus Jill Scott. Wait, hold on. Yeah, maybe, maybe another one. Anyway. There's no way Lauren Hill versus first things are Lauren Hill will never do this. I know that's why Badu. It was like a Badu just commenting on that. Who the hell? Who is Alana? What? I don't know why. I don't know why it's popping up as hers. This is me. I swear. Ra- Rafi, are you Alana? Uh, I I have I have become a yeah. It's my. Is that your, is that your quarantine name? name? It's my drag name, yeah. 
You need a cool name too. Is that what you said? Yeah, please. Let's let's give Ben a cool drag name. Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, Think about it. As we, what was it? Chiffon. Ooh. I don't even know how to That's spell. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Hey, Rafi, what's up? Hey, it's going pretty good out here. It it's looks a. Like, it looks like we are both enjoying delish weather. Yes, very delish weather, even though this is a podcast, so we need to be mindful of our listeners. No one can see us, okay? Right. Even so though... Should even, we even, the weather? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> even though you have a very shaggy beard, which is like the quarantine look, it's very, very Jewish. Yes, but it's also not great for, uh, for masks, I think. Oh, for... <laughs> Right. That, that's a good, good point. Good, uh, um, you know, allows that's a good, for some Yeah. Good. Yeah, well, and all the... I'm not going to lie. That's, that's a very robust beard. Yes. Dang. It's very... It, it almost, it's almost covering up my, my beard bald spots where the angel touched me as I was born. <laughs> that's, that's for a different podcast, mate. What? <laughs> the angels of what? Angels of death? No, that's just what I tell myself so that I wow. feel better about, about my beard bald spot. Hey, so thanks for doing this. We don't know what we're doing, but we just wanted, we just, we just wanted you to talk to us because you're so funny. Oh, shucks. Um, what, so this is the second one? Uh, this is the second one, and uh, this is like Ben. The like the penultimate one, if we're really being honest about it. The oh, what? Really? I said it's probably the penultimate one. <laughs> a short, a short three, uh, three episode uh, run, huh? The trilogy, yeah, like the like the Warwicker trilogy or uh, Lord of the Rings or Matrix. No, they're coming out with a new Matrix, actually. Yeah, good luck, dude. After Corona, good luck with that. Yeah, Hollywood is over, bro. It's done. Okay. Oh. I actually discovered a great new uh, series just the other night that Ooh, was just released on, on Monday. It's called The Midnight Gospel. What's it called? The Midnight Gospel. What uh, is it? Is it, it on Netflix? It's, uh, it's on Netflix. It's a cartoon. Um, and it's uh, created by, hopefully I get the names right, Ward Pendleton, who's behind Adventure Time. Ooh. And and uh, Duncan Tressel, who's this comedian who has a a podcast um, that focuses on like Eastern philosophy and religion and and meditation and um, and all that. And and so it's actually it takes for the most part it's it's taking segments from his podcast and and the conversations he's had with with uh you know folks like um ragu marcus who's um who's the, the president over at uh at ram Dass's observe remember foundation um so so like well i think it was either the first or the second episode was a conversation with ragu from you know extracted out of out of uh, uh duncan trestle's podcast and but the animation 
doesn't necessarily have a whole lot to do with with uh, with these conversations. It is like these these characters are are having the the conversations, but then what's going on is just this like crazy psychedelic super trippy uh landscape and like duncan's character is named clancy and he's like a he's a simulator simulation farmer and he has this sort of like universe simulator that he that he like jams his head into and then he gets launched to these different trippy worlds where he has these these conversations about about life uh meanwhile his own life is like he's totally ignoring his being a responsible human being and and um and his own sounds like you rafi (laughs) oh gee whiz thanks go on sorry um no that that was that was pretty much that was the the gist wow Uh, like, is it like they're cartoonizing heady spirituality? Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, yeah. But the you really have to like see it to to get how like out there the the animation is. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever seen like seen this this great book, uh, Codex Seraphinaeus. Um, it was this oh, it. Uh, this Italian um, guy. I think it was written in the 70s maybe but he sort of just created it's this whole encyclopedia of this like this invented world um of just like super like fantastical creatures and it's all he invented a whole language and alphabet for it um but it reminds me there's like elements of that where it's just this like this landscape of like you know floor like com- completely invented uh um uh plants and 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 animals that the, that they're that they're walking through and and uh um yeah i honestly like haven't really been watching that much uh the past like month and a half which has been pretty great well the clearly this um this description of this series is like 500 uh tv shows in one i mean let's be honest though this guy was must have been high as fuck to to do this because it seems pretty trippy like any good idea right you seen animals did you ever watch animals on hbo oh yes yeah the duplass brothers yeah that 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 gets pretty trippy too some of those episodes But what what I love about that is that they're like that all these animals are anthropomorphized, yeah. But yet they still live within a within like a rat context. Like I think where that was like the most obvious and exaggerated was with there was one episode about flies, and it's like their whole entire lifespan all happens within one day. So they're like, oh yeah, two old flies talking as the sun setting, and they're like. Wow, remember the morning when we were <laughs> young bucks? <laughs> Isn't that amazing that certain like animals have short-term memory, like goldfish? That's why they can like live in a bowl forever. But they don't have short-term memory. Yeah. They have like only 
I want to say like a 12 hour memory span. So they just constantly like swim around and around and it's like new. Like how cool is that? Uh, yeah, it sounds nice right now. Maybe there's a higher like magnet, order of magnitude being that's saying that about us right now. Right. Right. Because we have well, I mean, a lot. There's also people that, that have like brain trauma that, you know, that end short -term up short-term memory with uh yeah with that long-term memory in a lot of ways yeah i was saying how it's almost like if you have um alzheimer's it's like a blessing because you don't really know what the fuck is going on so like the idea of like dying you're just yeah. like oh like whatever like as opposed to being hyper aware and hyper conscious that like i'm old i'm here dying Jesus, thank sorry you. Yeah, Sorry, this podcast is all about dying. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Do you guys remember the first time you realized you were going to die? I am? No. Um, I do. I do. I was in a bus. And the bus broke really um, uh, violently. And I remember like hitting my jaw on sort of this metallic thing in front of me. And I remember at that moment thinking that I was gonna die. How old were you? I think I was nine. Oh, fuck. I was, here's what's weird. Like maybe it's just the different way we grew up. Uh, generational is like But like I was riding buses in London where I grew up by myself at like age nine and 10, like going to different places. I don't know if that's your experience, Esther. Rafi, you're young, so you wouldn't have done that. Oh, Rafi. Uh, yeah. Your old soul, though, you would probably be like five years old walking to the grocery store if you could. I, well, that's definitely around the age when I realized I was going to die. At five? Like five or six, yeah. Why? Yeah, like my dad's whole side of the family, we all went on a, on a trip to, uh, to, like Maui or something like that together and I remember being in one of the houses that we had rented and um and my cousin was reading a a book it was a paperback and on the cover there was a just like a human skull and for some reason I saw that and it just clicked and then I just started bawling <laughs> <laughs> oh so sad but that's so like crazy that you still remember it because it was like such a like impactful memory yeah yeah it really was how often so do you crazy. think hmm? how often do you think about it death death uh I don't know, I suppose more often than most. I mean, I have a, my, my grandmother who's, um, she just turned 100 in, in October. She lives right, right. I'm basically like in the in-law um, sort of unit behind, behind her house. So actually my great grandparents lived in here at one point. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, seeing somebody who's like, on the sort of the other end end of life like regularly makes one think more about it i suppose 
Um, yeah, she has a, a, a very sweet couple that takes care of her and they have a one and a half year old. So like we, we really, we got like the whole span of life here. Your circle uh, of life. The circle of life. Um, well, my first recognition of death for real, for real, not like as a child, but like what that vividly, vividly, that was like, oh, I'm going to die is, um, I know this sounds like a little bit trope, but when I was in Manhattan during 9-11, I was like, oh, they're going to drop bombs. Like, I was like, and like, it just like occurred to me, like, I'm like, okay, well, you know, like, I lived a pretty good life. I think I was like 21 at the time. Like, all right, well, whatever. I mean, I was pretty lucky. You were working so, in music? Yeah, I was like working at a record label at the time and my office was on Union Square. And I remember like being in the city on a bus heading to to work and just like all you hear was sirens and you know the, the mass chaos and it was um it was like a typical like New Yorker mentality of like yeah, it's all good. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, one of the towers is burning, but it's fine. It's fine." They're going to like, you know, you know, the fire guys are there or whatever. And this was like pre-cell phones. And I just remembered like, oh, this looks kind of crazy. Like you're just like staring outside this like dead heat of traffic. And then um, then I heard the second plane go in and you just hear this like crazy loud like bomb. And you're just like, what the fuck was that? And I just remember the bus driver turning on the radio and the radio was like, the Pentagon's been hit. You know, like, and you're just like, I was like in the bus, like, oh, like, this is it. Like, everyone that's been talking about the Cold War and the atom bomb and all, I'm like, this is happening right now. And um, the bus driver, I just remember him because it was like some black dude, like, he was just like on the, he gets on the intercom and he was like, do y'all still want to go downtown? Because, <laughs> like, he just didn't know what to do. And we're all like, no, stop the bus. Like, let us get off the bus. And the guy was just like, okay. Like, he just, like, opened the bus and we're all, like, left out in the middle of, like, Broadway. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, people were freaking out. That was like, like when George Bush was like, you know, that moment where he gets interrupted. And he's like, I, I guess I'll just continue to read it. Continue to read it, yeah. You just don't know what to do. You're just like, and he just was like, do you wish to continue to go downtown? And we're like, no. Wow. Anyways. But then I didn't die. But it was one of those moments where I'm like, Thank oh, we're all going to die. I know. Thank God. Oh. That would suck. Yeah. But so speaking of, I mean, we really wanted to talk about this crazy, weird article that you sent us last night that I forced Ben to read about umami. <laughs> umami. The umami theory of value. So what the fuck, dude? Like, what? Like, I'm just like floored. Like reading that, I'm like, oh my god, reality. It was pretty like, interesting, right? I think it's a it's a hot take. But it's Wait, also like, should we like we, read a should we read a a, a line or, or yes. two from it? Oh, yes, oh, for our let's each read our favorite line. 
Okay, this is I don't, so I, much. Been, I, I just sort of briefly skimmed it earlier today, so it's actually been like two weeks since I since I read it. So I don't I I don't know that I'd nef- necessarily say that this was my um this was my favorite, favorite? part, but uh, I'll I'll yeah. Let me just hop into it. Wait, wait, real quick. Should we set the table so that for the three people listening, they understand what we're talking about? Yes, shout out, shout out to the third person that's listening. Mom, Ben's mom, shout out to Ben's mom. Hey, what up, Ben's mom? Um, yeah, this article about, this article was written, what, in March of this year, like right after the whole quarantine lockdown. And it was written by this collect, or no, this duo, right? Or is it a collective called Nemesis? Yeah. I've never heard of them, but obviously they have like weird contemporary art background because they did some installation during Basel last year. Did you know them, Rafi? Is that why yeah, you got? Yeah, no, I've met Emily. She's a she's a friend of a friend, um, and uh, yeah, they they had. Uh, I don't know if if um, if they were both working together at this time, but she she was a part of this group sort of like trend forecasting group that um, maybe like five, six years ago, they put they they put out a series of these sort of like these reports called K-hole. Um, in, and in, in one of them, they they coined the term normcore. Oh, yeah. They were the ones that co- coined normcore? Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> I uh, love normcore. Sorry, let's go on. It's also so, my canteen attire, basically the philosophy that's behind what I put on every day. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. So there are these like uh, two, I guess as they describe it, two hybrid strategists, cultural producers, but yeah, also like trend forecasters. Uh, what well, at the time she was. She was really uh, excited about having landed. Uh, she she was working with a like a new crypto startup in Berlin, and and um, consulting on like branding, but also on their on their headquarters. And she she was super happy that she had convinced them to let her. Uh, what was it? She uh, she got them to let her design a scent, uh, like a scent identity for their for their headquarters. So she was like, "This is like the peak, the peak bullshit of like anything I've been ever uh, I've been able to like get a a company to to let me do." <laughs> and she got paid mad money. Probably, probably. I'll I'll power to her. Uh huh. So. Yeah. What? Well, if yeah, you guys so the, already have a have a section pick that that you that uh, that you wanted to. Well, I was a little upset that they pretty much blamed this phenomenon on David Chang. Because come on, let's be honest, Momofuku is still fucking great. That <laughs> uh, he's just emblematic of the whole phenomenon. He yeah. had a whole section, you guys. It was like way over a thousand words on David Chang and the paradox of umame. Okay. 
So, but I do agree with the philosophy of like the overpriced dining experience, the, uh, the ironic taste of like salty and it's disgusting, but at the same time, delicious. Like I have been a victim of that in and of itself. Yeah. And I think the, the, the ironies that were a part of the whole experience economy. And why do you think we got there? Is it because we just became extremely spoiled? Like we're just like beyond like, you know, like basic food, clothes, shelter. Like we've moved on from that. And now we're just like, okay, well, what's next? Yeah. I don't know. Or is that just like evolution? Because we're living in a time of the internet, you know? I mean, can a poor person experience umami? Yeah. I mean, you can you can go to a uh, to get some delicious, uh, go to a delicious taco truck and and still experience umami. Um, and I think that that was also that also fits in line with their description of like uh, of an experiential umami too. That that was sort of part of the. The irony of it too is that it could be both like highbrow and lowbrow. It wasn't all just about like, you know, going to a super expensive uh, restaurant in in Manhattan where you were being served like, you know, remix versions of of like of some other cultures like street food at a at a you know, at a, at a, at a much higher price, but, um, yeah, I suppose it, we, we sort of like got a, we stopped really like, div- I don't know, creating things of, of, of like true, like value and, and new and, uh, new things. And, and we're just sort of, uh re- remixing uh experiences and, and and products that that already existed um yeah i love this this line about like premium premium mediocrity yeah <laughs> T- taking existing meanings and mixing them into increasingly novel bizarre and random combinations and calling them new this was creative direction or by putting people into proximity with newly created meaning of dubious status and selling it as an experience. This was festival season. Nice, says the former Coachella employee. Yeah. It's the logic of gentrification, not only of the city, but also the self, culture, and civilization itself. What made it so gullible and this whole process possible was an inexhaustible appetite for umami. There's a there's a another quote that that I love that, that talks about gentrification. It says the essential and this is about how it works, right? This whole phenomenon of, of umami. The, the essential mechanics are simple. It's stating there's a there there when there isn't one, and directing attention to a new there before anyone notices they were staring at a void. 
the logic of gentrification, not only of the city, but also the self, culture, and civilization itself. I love that. I love this notion of gentrification of self. Mm. Hence why I love Normcore. Can't gentrify me, bitch. <laughs> Give me my white tea from the Gap khakis. But but going back, Esther, to your point, I mean, it's it's really about when you know it's it's a product of there being no aspir- you know, capitalism getting to the point where there's really no aspiration anymore because everything is so accessible and there's consumption everywhere, and so. It's, you know, it's, it's just creating these random sequences where you can start to create new patterns of consumption that weren't there because everyone kind of had a bit of, they've had all the, the regular shit. They need new flavors. Yeah, yeah I, to- I totally blame the internet for this. I think the internet just like compounded the FOMO to the max and compounded consumption to the max, whether it's like virtual consumption, whether it's online shopping, whether it's accessibility. Yeah, but what about the fact that millennials were clearly like more interested in, in putting their money towards experiences rather than things? Because they can get things. It wasn't um, like a forbidden fruit. I think that was part of why experiential marketing blew up because they're like, oh, like, okay, I could get the latest whatever shoes. That's why all these limited editions kind of blew up like in like five, 10 years ago. Like Yeezy's only made like 500 pairs. Like there's like the demand is like much higher because the idea is like you can't get Scarcity. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I mean, but what's interesting about the article is that they wrote this post quarantine or post, sorry, we're still in quarantine, but started before I think. So like, are they like, what is their conclusion? Like, okay, we're in this like unraveling of the umami culture because now we're just stuck in our homes and we can't experience these things are like, but we still have the internet, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they they necessarily came to, uh, to a, a solution. You know, real conclusion. I mean, I, you know, this is, I think it's, this is uh, uh, as unclear to them what the future looks like as, as uh, does to, to any of us, but um, yeah, I mean, I certainly, I don't, I don't think that uh, coming out of this, there, there's going to be uh, uh, the next um, uh, museum of ice cream getting getting valued <laughs> at a quarter billion dollars again. Facts. Yeah, they said this is what we found. Everything is canceled. And it's the beginning of the end of the experience economy as we've come to know it. But is it, I mean, isn't, is, aren't, you know, maybe this whole thing we're going through right now is a form of umami, right? Like in the juxtaposition, it's not two desperate products, but it's two experience, 
disparate and seemingly contradictory uh, modalities of life, right? Pre-quarantine, post-quarantine. And we're kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're experiencing them at the same time right now and creating meaning or creating an experience out of them. Does everyone I, know? Okay. No, I was going to say, that's a really fucking solid point, Ben. Because, yes, because I only say this because someone said it's best. It's like, talk about how, you know, if we believe in a higher source, higher power, God, whatever you want to call it, Jesus. Um, talk about how gentle this, this uh, global pandemic was. Gentle in the way that it wasn't like a war. Like there was no weird asteroid that came or some crazy, you know, seismic. The invisible invisible enemy. Yeah, but it's like, oh, we're giving you this invisible virus that's going to make you appreciate life more. Yeah. (laughs) And like you have the internet and Netflix and you could still go to Whole Foods if you wanted, you know, like it's just like the horror of like say being a also, syrian a refugee have a job. me me that's me wait what i i said also a lot of you won't have a job anymore true but my point is it could be worse yeah like no, like sure. like let do we not forget about syria not again not to bring <laughs> oh my god i'm such a debbie downer but like you know syria that shit was crazy. That was like three, four years ago. Like, bombed out. Like, you know, it could really be really, really, yeah, the war really was bad. Still going. I mean, this is, this is what stopped it there. Yeah, that's true. So, I don't know. Maybe it is this weird, like, high-low, you know, premium, non-premium experience that we're having collectively is just like... It's horrific. Like what's happening right now is horrific and terrifying and anxiety prone and everything else. But simultaneously, it's peaceful. It's quiet. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes enjoyable. Kind of. It's kind of umami. You guys, thank you so much. This was a great podcast. I think we've um, did a breakthrough. And now we can move on with our <laughs> You need to tell your friend, Emily, that we've one-upped her article. You should tell her. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah. not, we're, we're, we're not that, that close. But um, no, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, there, I, I definitely, I thought it was an, an interesting take. I mean, one thing I was thinking about a lot before all this went down is just how you know, thinking about uh, sort of our unsustainable pace of, of consumption and how there was the the only incentives in, in the rat race were just to like buy more, consume more, produce more, uh, sell more, you know, and, and um, I had read somewhere, some you know, someone talking, looking at a, looking at a country like Cuba, where they they live with so much less, yet they're still like it's like a ninety nine percent literacy rate, the same sort of literacy literacy rates and and uh, education, you know, um, and and like 
medical like quality of, of like medical care as any sort of uh, in post-industrial first world country and looking to that as, as a model, you know, uh, uh, to, to where, to where we can go to, so that everyone can lead more, more sustainable lives or we're not just constantly buying, buying new things. Um, and how, what, what sort of changes would, would need to happen, you know? Like looking at the, at the workforce that you would need, you know, for example, like less people in, in sort of in, in retail jobs, you know, maybe you, you need more people in, in ed education, in medicine. Uh, I don't know. This, so that was just something I, I had been thinking about a lot before this. And then, um, you know, now that we're in the, in the quarantine, it's like that there are aspects of that that are sort of being like forced upon us. Yeah. Isn't necessarily such a bad thing. Yeah. I think, you know, just to like piggyback on that though, Rafi, I think that systematically this country can never be like Cuba, mainly because um, we are so divided. You know, I was on this panel yesterday about uh, like artists in crisis and, you know, a lot of struggling and one of the artists was saying how he's like, if he looks at another application to apply for funding or, you know, grants or relief funds or what he's going to, he's going to freak out and um, kill himself pretty much because there's just so much like paperwork and like bullshit. And I said, you know why? Cause the system, the, the government doesn't trust us. Okay. There's like a lack of trust there. And that's why there is all this red tape and paperwork because in some weird way they think in their back of their minds like they're just you know we're trying to one-up them right but mainly if you're looking at a monocultural society like for instance my home country of korea you know <clears throat> it's easy to trust each other because we come from a very similar lineage we share a same ethics there are shared history you know and so that's why it's such a um, you know, when they think about universal health care for certain countries, you know, you're not dealing with like other divided societies that they feel like us versus them. And America is just literally built on us versus them. So it's just impossible to, to me in this lifetime for us to be all kumbaya when we're constantly faced with like, well, you're this ethnic group you're from this neighborhood, you're from whatever, you know, it's just, it's impossible. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, you almost need a, uh, a common enemy for everyone to, to rally around in order to, to bring everyone together so that the, uh, the, uh, the, the relative us versus them sort of makes, I don't know, change, changes that, that dynamic. Well, yeah, but even that works in a society where there's a consensus on fact, you know, where right. less around the same, you know, same set of facts. Problem is, you know, we have different facts and we do actually currently have a common enemy, but it hasn't stopped us from being any more polarized. In fact, yeah. 
it's actually totally. this common enemy is bringing out, you know, it's exacerbating that, that divisiveness. So I don't know, you know, even let's say we were invaded by China tomorrow, right? There'd be two very different renditions of the facts, depending on which side of the political spectrum, you know, you lie. I mean, I, I was so anti the Civil War, like 150 years ago, but man, I don't know. This country's way too big. It's just too fucking big. I'm like all about Cascadia. You know about Cascadia, dude. The land of Cascadia. I think uh, Gavin Newsom just recently was talking about, uh, like, he even referred to um, to California as a nation state. Oh, it's a total nation state. Okay, so Cascadia for our three listeners. Shout out to whoever, Ben's mom and Rafi's mom. Love Rafi's mom. Um, Cascadia, what? She's not going to listen to this. I know, because she's just way too busy and important for this. Um, Cascadia is the Pacific Northwest. There was a whole movement in the 70s. They had their own flag, bro. It was like, it's like peaks out at Oregon, Washington, and um, British Columbia. They just need a new Sign name. me up. It's a terrible name. It sounds like an amusement park. Yeah. It's not. It's the Cascade Mountains, dude. Cascadia. The land of Cascadia. Anyways. Yeah, Civil War. Totally. Let's do it. Screw this. I think you guys are, you guys are probably on the... Uh, on the other side of that line over there. Well, well, we gotta we gotta bounce because man, we are. Well, Miami is definitely not the South. Yeah, that's for true. sure. True, true. Um. Anyways, but Rafi, what do you think? What's gonna happen to your life? Your <laughs> your your specialty is events. Yeah, yeah, gathering people isn't a valued skill right now. I've noticed. <laughs> you could do online events. I know. I, I I just feel super blessed that I like don't you know, I'm I'm in a position now where I can, you know, wait wait this out and uh, really take the take the time to to think about what's what's important to me and and uh what I want to be putting my my energy towards uh yeah like a friend just sent me a, a job listing like 2 days ago and she just checked in again this morning and it was for like a public art consulting firm and Going into public art is definitely something I've I've thought about, you know, especially because I, I feel like so many of the public art consultants and consultancies that I've that I I've come across and the work that they've done is like just really not uh, good. Not good. Um, yeah, not yeah, like just so many missed opportunities. Um, and I realize also part of that is like the dynamics of, of, uh, yeah, uh, of working with, uh, with a public entity and all the baggage that that comes with. But yeah, I had checked out the 
the uh, the company and I was just like not into the uh, m- the majority of the projects they had done and it was like commissions manager and mm. I could just see just in the job description how little opportunity there would be for for creativity within that that space that it was really just sort of like a coordinator and I was like that's I I would I would go crazy at a, yeah. at a job like that. Like being so, you know, just like sort of tangentially like connected to to the actual like creative moments and not get to be uh, to be sort of s- sculpting, guiding those those conversations like I have in the past. So yeah, also like what is public art post COVID nineteen, dude? Like, you know? You like, as in like our 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 government's gonna have money to fund. Yeah, public and art? also like what is a sculpture, no offense to public art sculpture people, but like use that money to like open up like free internet uh, computer labs for kids or you know, like I feel like there needs to be a little bit more brass tacks type of initiatives after like the economy is going to be in shambles and every dollar needs to be expanded by you know ten dollars so look look back to the wpa i mean what like during the during the 30s the works progress administration oh right I mean, they put a ton of resources into into uh, public art, and you know, even you know, great. There, there, there were great projects of of uh, photographers like traveling across the country, documenting American life, and you know, something that I'm sure at the time could have been argued as like as useless, but you know what a blessing to to have that 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 sort of those those archives now to be able to look back and 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 see uh but isn't that journalism more so than RIP public journal- art rp journalism but that's a whole other uh that i feel like that's a whole other conversation umami that's a whole <laughs> other umami but uh, uh yeah i mean uh I don't. I don't think it's fair to say that you, you're either. You know that that money can either be, like, spent on, on you know, something like uh, as critical as in internet, especially when there's so many people without it, and and it's such a necessary element to like just getting an education right now in the current, in the 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 current climate. But uh, you know that it's either that or or on like a large scale public art installation i think that you know the art economy is the i mean it's tens of millions of jobs in the u.s you know it those those are those are people that also need need work and and uh i think that that bringing beauty into into like public life and and into into cities it's like that that has a that 
that sort of accumulates and has like a snowballing effect that that leads to to making making cities and 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 everyone's lives richer and 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 uh and raises the the quality of uh of of life for for everybody maybe really what it's about is is um is sort of is is sort of cutting down uh the the types of of regulations and codes that have made doing that so resource intensive yeah and and making it easier for 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 cities and, and and artists to to bring art into into public life and and again that 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 doesn't even have to be a uh, a permanent uh, public art installation. It can be programming like like you do, or uh, mm-hmm. yeah, workshops, talks. Uh, you know, there's tons of different forms it it can take. Spoken like a true son of an architect. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think more more than just that. There that you know, my dad's an architect. And my mom's a landscape architect. They've always been really engaged in the in the community and and uh you know i think figuring out how to how to make la uh, a better a better city to to live in uh has always been really you know, central to their to the to their motivations and their in their you know I'm not even gonna say like careers in their in their in their callings. Yeah. A higher purpose calling. No, don't get me wrong, I'm not like dissing art because I work in the arts. <laughs> but I do think that the um the art as we know it needs to change. You know, the art market versus kind of the gift economy of art needs to change. Yeah. Um, how we perceive art as essential or non-essential needs to change and the huge discrepancy you know in the art world needs to change because what you're what you're thinking about is social services through the lens of an artist yeah you know whether it's public programming whether it's you know installations murals you know beautification all of these things are through the lens of an artist versus say like an like a government official right? They were just saying how if you look at every um, um, like courtroom or every kind of like municipality, it's the same uh, interior design. And this is all by design. Like the color schemes, the palettes, these are all by design for certain purposes. And like when you even walk into these rooms, you feel like a sense of drab, right? You're like, yeah, but you know, if somehow we bring a different kind of lens to these like buildings that, you know, that get visited by average citizens every day, imagine going to like jury duty might actually be a great thing. Probably not. Actually, I take that back. Jury duty sucks, but. Can I, can I ask a question? Is the only, you know, I'm not in the arts, but, um, but, but if we are moving to a post-experiential economy, wouldn't that, in a sense, benefit 
the more kind of traditional concept of art that you're kind of talking about? What do you mean? Like the, paintings? Yeah, no, or in the sense, you know, you're talking about the drabness of, you know, certain, I was taking your comments to kind of be, you know, kind of reemphasizing more traditional notions of art and public art, for example, right? And so if we're moving away from experiences and maybe moving back towards a more physical world where we're actually focusing on physicality and not experiences, then wouldn't that, in a sense, will that benefit art or will it not? Or I mean, am I even asking a question that makes sense? Um, I think that, I think that um, how we value the art is going to shift, um, you know, I mean, I think museums need to rethink how they're going to, um, you know, showcase art or value art, I guess. You know, like, I mean, the whole thing is, the whole system is just rigged at the end of the day, but I'm just wondering how the average person is going to um, find some sort of a enjoyment or solace in looking at a painting as opposed to something else i don't really know i can't really i can't really answer that maybe we can take some of the lessons from the experience economy as a way of like enriching our our everyday lives so like you're talking about the drabness of a of a courtroom um i know maybe four or five months ago i was in a uh in a in a pretty depressing room in a in a small uh city outside of LA for a meeting with a, a commission and uh yeah it's like totally it's a it's a it's a placeless place too it's like being on a cruise you know like what about that space that I was in said anything about that that community and and its history and the you know the the vernacular architecture there the the uh yeah just the culture in general right it could have been anywhere um but wait some something that i that i i like touched on briefly that i would actually be interested in, in your take ben um from like uh someone in in uh in service industry uh you know briefly talked about how like maybe you know loosening out some of the 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 regulations the codes the bureaucracy around public art um you know that may, maybe that that could be a positive thing that that could come out of this i really haven't been following that conversation enough to to know whether that's like even under consideration any anywhere um but i i have been thinking about you know in terms of like bars and and restaurants like you know we uh, in la uh a lot of restaurants have sort of turned into uh into grocers because of their access to, to wholesale food and that it's actually it it was starting to get shut down by by the city because they don't have a a, a permit to do it and then a ton of people signed a petition and so it's been it's they've they've loosened up the uh uh you know the they they've al allowed for it um in this in this current situation and and i hope that 
maybe going forward, it'll, yeah, just the whole bureaucracy uh, around, uh, uh, you know, getting like liquor licenses, uh, you know, how, how late places are, are allowed to be open here. Um, like, will that, will that, will it become more business friendly? Uh, it's a difficult question to answer because, you know, you, we are, we're seeing that here in South Florida as well. There's some loosening of like the bureaucracy as it relates to alcohol licensing and other permitting things, but they're all in response to the exigencies of the moment, right? We're in a crisis. So, you know, uh, the authorities are saying, okay, you can deliver liquor now because that helps, you know, make sure people aren't going out to get liquor, right? Right. Um, will that endure? You know, will, will this, or is this just a reaction to the, the needs of the moment? Or does it kind of portend a slackening of what was otherwise kind of this, you know, these ironclad bureaucracies that you're talking about? Um, yeah. You know, it's a good, it's a good question. Yeah, I mean, especially you think about some of the some of the laws in place in the in the Northeast that are clearly just like vestiges of like, you know, like in pilgrims. Yes. You know, like you would like, oh, you can't buy booze on Sundays, and it's like 2020. Uh, not in Miami. <laughs> not no, definitely not in Miami. Uh, yeah, I. I hope that 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 can be something positive. I at least I view it as as a as a as a positive. I'm sure there are like, uh, you know, families uh, and that that wouldn't like to to see that happen. Yeah, you know, right. Something I'd been thinking about a lot also before this uh, is I'd been going to a lot of after hours parties, which were actually you know obviously like not sanctioned uh and then back are you in, talking about raves rafi um are you I going to illegal raves like all on raves um such a but, raver <laughs> i know uh so I, I wish i wish there was like that there was less light in here so i could give you guys a a, a zoom uh, light, light show right now <laughs> but you know, there, there was actually, um, there was one weekend in November where there was shootings at two different after hours in the same What? Week. I had been uh, just blocks away from, from one of them. And, you know, when, you, when you're in a city with a ton of, with, with a ton of young folks that, that want to go out and socialize all hours of the night and you're essentially kicked out of a, a bar by like 145. Like people are 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 going to find the party. And unfortunately those unsanctioned parties, you know, come with a lot of a lot of risk. There's obviously there's, you know, a lot of them like have security, but it's it's just it's not the same as operating with a with a permit and the, um, yeah, obviously you know having having a, in insurance and and um, just yeah being able to operate out that like within 
um, safety codes. Yeah, yeah, all, all, every, everything that 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 comes with. Uh, and yeah, and but I, isn't that part like, of the allure? <laughs> I mean, if you're young and you're going to an illegal raid, you're like, you know, what's the, you might die. The bars, bars can be open there. over there until four in Miami, and Dude, on the beach, and on the beach, think, it's twenty four seven, right? Yeah, it's like there is no limit. I think there's a turn. There's like you have to stop serving for like thirty minutes. Okay, and then and so and are then there a lot of illegal raves there? No, sadly, there's not. Are you talking about right now, or are you talking in general? In general, in general. No, when was the last illegal rave you gone to, Ben? There's really there's nothing illegal, you know, unless, you know, unless you're trespassing on someone's property, I guess. Because, because you, because people can go to the to actual Deuce. businesses. You can go to Club Deuce at five in the morning. Exactly. Which Rafi has done multiple times. Oh, God, I miss that place. Love <laughs> Deuce, yeah, it's a good spot. The Deuce. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's on, you know. But then again, like, dude, that's the whole point of going to an illegal warehouse rave is that it's dangerous, you know, that there's a sense of risk. And right, but, but isn't it better for people to have options? I guess, but then you're losing the mommy. It's sort of it's sort of amazing that that there's so many uh, that there's so many people that host these these uh, these parties in the first place. Because like, there's no way that financially it it makes sense to take on the risk that they're taking on. It's like it's a fucking noble cause. Like, as in they should get an award? <laughs> Not an award, you know. Yeah, maybe. but they're part of, that's like part of, that's that anarchist, you know, that's that anarchist kind of mentality, man. You're really doing it for the for doing it. You know, fuck the system, fuck making money, fuck money altogether. Yeah. You know, it's about having a good time. It's about bringing people. Yeah. It's about the umami experience. Okay, I, guys. I Oh, we got it's it. four o'clock and uh, you know we do lightning rounds as it's it's like a tradition based on the fact we only did one of these but now that <laughs> i've been practicing all week i've just been coming up with random lightning round questions that just prepare for this yeah so so we like stop the really like heavy heavy like weighted deep philosophical conversations with just like the most random lightning round questions that I asked you both. Okay. But Rafi, I didn't want to cut you off. I know you were in deep thought. What was your final thought on illegal race? I just think that, uh, I, I remember talking to a, a former boss about it and he's like always been straight edge, but always he, you know, been a, a promoter his whole entire life. and. He's like, oh, well, what's what's the point? Just so that like people can keep drinking another two hours. I think it it's you know, there's no reason for for uh, last call to be four a.m. And my point is like, even if you're the sort of person that goes to bed at ten p.m., if you are interested in in culture in in any way, 
like you don't want to live in a city where everything shuts down by 10 p.m. Because that's not an interesting place to live because the people that are, you know, that are on the edge pushing culture, they're, they're out late, you know? Right, they're night owls. And uh, yeah, and, and, you know, go, go hang out in, in, in La Quinta. Um, where after, uh, in, in the Coachella Valley, where after 9 PM, it's like that your only, your only choice for, uh, for eating is, uh, is like in and out. Taco Bell. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's culturally, it's dead. Is that, is that why you think New York city is like still a hotbed for culture? Cause it's like a 24 hour city. (laughs) Yeah. Because when you have when you have uh, opportun- constant opportunities for for you know for like uh you know for people to to randomly engage and encounter people it's like that's what that's what produces culture and and new ma- like and mashups of of new ideas when there's no opportunities, when everyone's living in a gated community where they work from nine to five and then they just go home, or maybe they go to the steakhouse with their with their wife and then they go back home. It's like, what are the opportunities for for new uh, new conversations, new ideas to to happen? Well, imagine being in quarantine, dude. Well, that talk I, about I, a stifling. I joined. I joined two different uh, reviews for two different um, friends that are that are teaching uh, uh, in the architecture school at, at Syracuse this week, and and my friend John was talking about how he he's noticed like since the when this semester had to move all to the video that that uh, that it wasn't that the student's work was, was becoming, uh, um, yeah, less enticing. And, mm-hmm. and I think part of that's because they, you know, architecture school is, is all about like being, pulling all nighters with all of your, your classmates. And, and when you're all in the same place and you're seeing each other's work and getting inspired by, by other people's work or, or what they're looking at and, and, you know, that's, that's going to, to make for, uh, no, we, we had the same panel. Yeah. The same panel. Sorry. I want to, this brings up a point. So like, you know, this panel yesterday about residencies and someone was like, what, how do you see a virtual residency, a virtual artist residency? And I was like, that's it fucking impossible because the point of you going to an artist residency or retreat is you are immersed in nature or it's the environment you know you're like up in the mountains or you're in the middle of a lake or you know that's part of that's a huge factor in what brings creativity for artists you know it's the it's it's their environment so how do you create that virtually? Unless there's some some crazy VR AR technology, there's no way. And yeah. then the other thing is the communion. It's the random like you bump into somebody at the bathroom, 
or you like ran into somebody at lunch and you're just striking up conversations. Sadly, we really can't do that in the age of Zoom, you know? So, I, I mean, residents, if this thing continues, there's going to be a lot of artist residencies that's going to sunset and go away because they can't survive, you know? Um, similar to, to like music festivals and experiences and all of these, like, talk about Summit Series. Thank God you didn't end up working for them, Raph, because, like, part of the reason why people go to Summit Series is that you do randomly run into, like, Malcolm Gladwell at an elevator. You're not going to do that VI online, you know? So... Not a very friendly man, by the way. I've run into him at Panther Coffee in South Beach. All the time. He lives in that condo across the street. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Malcolm. I'm sure he's listening. I forgive you. I forgive you, Malcolm. Um, okay. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. Okay. Rafi. You're, you're going to go first, okay? Are you ready? It's a lightning round. Okay. Okay. Question one, what three apps on your phone do you use the most? Okay, uh, yeah, Instagram. Okay. Honestly. Um, I guess, I suppose, Zoom right now. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and randomly browsing Redfin. What? What's Redfin? Redfin? Uh, it's a real estate website. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why are you browsing on Redfin? Are you looking to buy a house? Maybe. <laughs> During the quarantine? I think it's a pretty, I think it's, you know, in probably more so in, in, uh, in the next few months, but it's definitely be a, a buyer's market. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, Ben, three most used apps. Go. Uh, uh, Spotify, uh, uh, Instagram, and Google Translate. Oh, Google Translate. That's a good one. Okay. Uh, if you, you have... Google Translate? I what? What languages? Yeah. Uh, I use it for, I use it for Spanish uh, a fair amount just to kind of spot check my work. Can uh, can can you tell us what the if you pull up Google Translate? Can you just say what the the last thing you uh, you um, translated? Yeah. Uh, so the last one was actually the last one was oh, it has been very difficult to advance the process. Ha sido muy complicado avanzar el proceso. Oh, sí, claro. Mine, mine was in, um, I was talking to uh, my friend Vito in, uh, in Italy, and, uh, and I said, Ho appena scorreggiato, ma nessuno era in giro per ascoltarlo. E susetto ancora? And that translates to, I just farted, but nobody was around to listen to me, uh, to it. Uh, has it happened yet? Hmm. Wait, that that didn't really make it didn't really translate quite well. Which I say, ha sido muy complicado avanzar. Wow, that was really um, very enlightening. Okay, next question. What's your claim to fame, Rafi? 
So many, but just like, so just many. give me your first. So many. Well, I did I tell you about my uh, my birthday Zoom roast two weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, I totally didn't get, I, I was unable there, to, but yes. There were, there were 60 people in it, and, um, and my friends are way too sweet, and most of them yeah. do not understand what a roast is. I had, I had written all these like counter roasts part of the growth process and I could I ended up like not being able to say most of them because I'm like what this guy just did a like a very sweet my best friend from college did like a very sweet sort of like slideshow presentation of like a history of Rafi and heels over, that's over a roast time. that's not a roast but it's like what then I'm gonna make him like uh, then I'm gonna send him to the therapist like <laughs> I'm not a monster. <laughs> so that, is that your claim to fame? Claim, I think that's my claim to fame, not being a monster. <laughs> okay. I was, okay. Really, I was really trying to think of like things that, you know, that I have a claim to fame for. Um, I guess, I don't really have a claim to fame, I don't think. Oh, come on. Don't be shy. No, I don't really think I have one. Actually, you can, you can come up with one for me. I, I don't really have one for myself. Gift the gab. There you go. Perfect. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, what weird things do you do alone? Hmm. <laughs> I constantly <laughs> rearrange all my plants. Is that weird? You know, I mean, in in pursuit really. in pursuit of uh, that that ever elusive mistress, Feng Shui. Ooh, it's elusive. Very elusive. Okay, I guess that's somewhat weird. Okay, Ben. I just like I play darts all day. I have a dart board, and I'm I just play darts. It's like obsessive. I think it's just it's kind of like it's, a, yeah. It's kind of it's like that weird. What? Is that weird? No, I guess not. It's, it's a weird thing I do by myself all day, yeah. Mm, okay. I guess mine isn't that weird either. Probably a lot of people are doing that. What is all right. Um. Okay, next. If money wasn't an option, where would you live and why? If money wasn't an option or an ob or, or, or option, or, what like money? What like you had a zillion dollars? Like where would you live and why? Obstacle, right? Yeah. Lightning round, guys! Come on. No one understands the concept of lightning round. What would I live or what would I do? That's the next question, Ben. But I guess we could fold it into what would you do? Where would you live and why? No, it's a triple threat. Thanks, thanks. If money wasn't an option, what would you do? Where would you live and why? Go, Rafi. I would have a, I would probably buy an old um, uh, hacienda uh, outside Ooh. of Merida in the Yucatan. Loving it. Keep going. Have, a, have like a botanical garden. Okay. And bunch of uh, uh, you know a bunch of uh, extra houses that would all be designed by 
by different friends and sort of have like a like informal residency where artists friends would just come and we would slowly over time turn it into a um, a sculpture park Ooh. so essentially a commune you're going to build a commune yes I actually found a great, like, essentially, it's like a commune starter kit on Redfin in Ojai. Oh, now <laughs> In Ojai? Yes. Fuck yeah, yeah Ojai. Okay, Love I'll, Ojai. I'll send you guys a link. Nine houses for 2.7 million, five acres, um, and there's a burned, an old burned out hotel, like 100 year hotel on the site, too. Sweet. Right? Nice. All right. Uh, um, I would move in with Rafi. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, I, I, I would, I would, you know, I'd buy a big farm, maybe not the Yucatan, maybe, you know, maybe in, uh, in Oaxaca. Um, and I would, uh, I would, I would, I would do a dog rescue thing. I could see you a dog rescue thing. I think that would be um, nice. Yeah. That's so sweet. That's mostly, like specific, mostly, like only chihuahuas. Yeah, yeah. Only, but, only three-legged chihuahuas. Yeah. But mostly hookers and blow. Yeah. <laughs> what what part of uh, of Oaxaca? Uh, probably just you know Oaxaca, Oaxaca City. Yeah. Oh wow, you guys are going detailed. you know. Enjoy life. All right. Next question. Name me three people, dead or alive, that you would invite to your dinner party. Thank um, John Oliver. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Hunter Twasser. I'm not familiar. The Austrian uh, artist and architect. Um, he used to, he had a very famous lecture that was the, the straight line is the devil's line. We should, uh, I'll send you guys some photos of like some, some buildings he's, he's done. He did these amazing apartments in, in Vienna. Um, and third, huh, would be, I don't know, maybe like Jimi Hendrix. He was a quiet guy, though, I think. I think he was a shy, quiet guy. But, but yeah, I mean, would he, would he be what he did By the time he was 27, like. Yeah. Uh, so I would, I would have Oscar Wilde there. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, He'd be funny. He'd be very funny. I don't know, maybe like Frida Kahlo would be fun. She'd, you know, she'd be kind of a blast, probably. Um, and then... Uh, maybe um, uh, Michelangelo. I figured he'd, he'd have a lot to talk about. And we could use your Google Translate to, to understand what he's talking about. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the next question is, what would you serve at this dinner party with your three invited guests? Rafi? I mean... For sure, uh, like tequila, al pastor, al pastor tacos. Like, have like a trompo, like straight, straight, you know, 
guy going like straight off the, the spit, like flipping little pieces of pineapple on there, some fresh tortillas. Uh, um, you, th you thought about this a lot. <laughs> this amazing margarita that I made for myself. Mm. Like, yeah, where I pick, I have a tangerine tree right here. And I nice. greens. I picked a bunch of lemongrass from my backyard and made a brown sugar lemongrass simple syrup. And then, you know, a tahini rim. And it was just like good times. Um, so umami. Ooh, mommy. And then for dessert, I mean, yeah, probably like a, a matcha soft serve. Dude, this is such a good menu. I was, I was with you till the matcha, you know. Uh, yeah. What's wrong with matcha, bro? Um, what about a princess cake? Are you down with princess cakes? I'm down with princess cakes, yeah. I do love, I love marzipan. Oh, marzipan. I'm a big marzipan. Um, nougat. Do you say nougat or nougat? Nougat. Yeah. Um, okay, Ben, what would you serve at your dinner for, with Frida and Michelangelo? Uh, I would serve some good old, you know, like some good Danish uh, fried fish mm. with, uh, with some remoulade, which is remoulade. Um, and, then I, and then I would... Um, uh, I'd probably have some some really uh, interesting kind of locally fermented wines made from interesting plants uh, and fruits. God, this is such a high class dinner I would party. There's no way I would do that. I just had to I had to compete with Rappi's evocative. Uh, I mean. What what could be more um, for for the people than some al pastor tacos? Oh God, here we go. So umami. Can we just give a shout out to Mexico. I think that's the bottom line here. Like, oh, I know you love felt, Mexico. Yeah, I, I mean, but, I I was actually recently thinking about how like maybe I was a um, like a jewelry artist in Tasco in a past life. Hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Like tons of silver. All the silver. All the silver. Okay, final question. That's my question. Who just called? <laughs> um, final question. Name me your worst trait that you wish you never had. My my worst trait? Yeah, like your worst character oh, flaw, default, default. Yeah. Big procrastinator. I've been procrastinating on updating my LinkedIn for the past like four months. You are you really a procrastinator? Oh yeah. Can you imagine in those four months like how much like if you accumulate like put all that time added up all that time, I mean, probably like 10 times the amount of time as it would take me to just do it, that I've been right. like thinking about it, being anxious about not having done it, ridiculous. 
And yet, is I, that just anxiety more so than you being a procrastinator? Uh, no, I think it's also I just like hate. There's few things I hate more than like having to write about myself. Well, then, like, isn't that insecurity than more than procrastination? Um, yeah. <laughs> sure, maybe part partially that. I think it's you, also I think you need to reevaluate this question. We'll come back to you. Okay. Ben, what's your worst trait? I think that I, I, I think I come across as arrogant to some people. I don't mean like I, I don't feel superior, but I think some people think that I am arrogant. And I, I, I wish that wasn't. But how's that a worst trait? Um, That's like other people's perception of you. It's their trait, not you. No, I'm, I'm arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, no, if we're being honest, I'm a little arrogant. Yeah. I don't like that, but I'm probably a little arrogant. Okay, touche, touche. Uh, <laughs> Rafi, do you want to revisit or you still want to stay true to your procrastination? I was really vulnerable there, Rafi. Come on, man. Along the lines of, of what Ben was saying, I, I remember last year uh, talking to somebody that was on my team and 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 they were uh who's also a good friend and and he was telling me how like two of the other people are on my team who were like you know just coming on for the the uh for the festival season hired guns um and that they that they they had been complaining to him that i i seem like i came off as as like as entitled and <laughs> but you kind of are yeah but also in that <laughs> instance i was like yeah i'm entitled i literally have a title you don't have a title this is not your department this is not your show so yes relative yeah. to you i am i am entitled and i'm entitled to be entitled i agree with you <laughs> wow okay yeah. And with that, I think that's that's a wrap. We have two very arrogant assholes here that have uh, just uh, did our episode two. Rafi, what do you think we should call this fake podcast? By the way, Ben, fun fact, Rafi's sister actually is a legit podcaster that has like millions of followers. Stop, really? What's, yeah. what's the podcast called? Uh, well, her her own podcast called Mashup Americans, but she's also she also consults on on other on other podcasts. Well, I, I I'll forward you guys some some links. I also um, you know don't end this Zoom call without bring pulling up the uh, the commune site. Uh, oh, I already did. Okay, good. I already looked at the commune site. Definitely looks like a fucking commune. Like the, yeah, I could definitely see some uh, sunset med meditation. This is Ojai. Yeah. I love Ojai. That place is solid. Um, anyways, what do you think we should call it, Rafi? You're, you're a clever, uh, entitled son of a bitch. Uh, Should we continue this? Might as well, right? 
it's like fucking lockdown. Who cares? I mean, even if it's just, even if nobody else listens to this, I, I that's not that. true. 20 people listen to our first podcast. Enjoy it, Rafi? Have you enjoyed this? This conversation? Yeah. Well, and, and ben, I would, I would love to, uh, you know, have a, another conversation with you. I've been thinking, I've, I've always, I, I've, I've had, he thinks. Uh, I, I think occasionally, and sometimes it's about, um, uh, concepts that, that relate to, uh, food and beverage. So who knows? Yeah. I love, I love, uh, I love great minds like my own. Sorry, that was arrogant. <laughs> No, no, no. I love, I love, I love people that are trying to connect on a much like on a different level, and I think that that's why Esther and I get along so well. And then obviously, you calling me arrogant? No, no, no. I wasn't. I was saying that you connect on a different level. Yes. You, you have a very, you're very curious about connecting in different modalities. Bars was oh, I like that. I had bought this book thinking that it was actually going to be a lot more interesting than it was and then i realized that that maybe like other than other than japan it's like maybe people just aren't getting weird enough and but i think it also you know relates back to what we were talking about earlier that i think that that people just aren't uh that that uh that codes and regulations are uh, uh like stifle people being able to get weirder and, and and uh and and stray from uh you know what it what is so often like yeah what is a what is a bar i mean when you look at bars in japan versus versus bars here it really makes like virtually every bar like feel the same here you know i don't know just a thought Lots of thinking. On the other side of this, I hope there are more weird bars, is what I'm saying. Or no bars. Maybe the weirdest bar is just your own personal bar. And we just go over to your house. As Rafi goes into his bar. Ooh, what's that? I'm going to have a sip of this in honor of you guys. It's Amaro del Herborista. Let me break out my Google Translate. i got to figure out that. I think an air, arborista would be like an ar, like an arborist. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Oh my god, guys! It's Friday. And oh my god, how cute! Isn't that the cutest? Oh my god, that's so cute. Where'd you get that? Can you describe this? Since isn't this a podcast? People. Yeah, it's it's literally. Rafi's holding the daintiest, tiniest shot glass of a, I guess, a wine glass or a. Has like its own. It has like a regular size stem, that's this like beautiful, sort of like, chartreuse, and then the cup, the the actual cup must be like, no bigger than like an, it's maybe like an ounce and a it's half. It's like a shot. It's like it's yeah. like a shot. Yeah. Oh my God, it looks like a little rose, like a flower. It's like a rose pink. Wow, well, salud. Here's. Well, thanks for being our 
second guest on our official yeah, but unofficial podcast on netflix let me know what you guys think oh yes please send us a bunch of uh show notes that i could <laughs> oh. i always wanted to say that we'll put those we'll put these in the show notes what does it taste like is it yummy yeah i mean it's it's a really strong Amaro. So there's just like a, it's like a garden. It's, a, it's herbaceous to the max. Is it umami? Ah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's umami. Um, it can be enjoyed at any time of the day, including, yeah. including one thirty. On a Friday. It, it's perfect after meal, neat or on the rocks. Oh. <laughs> It can also be served warm with orange peel and cinnamon steak. Oh, wait, wait, how would you do it on the rocks in that small? <laughs> how would you? I mean, you'd have to have crushed ice. You have a tiny ice. You need tiny ice. Or little uh, snowflakes. <gasps> little snowflakes. Oh, my God. That's like next level umami where you generate snowflakes to chill that tiny ass glass. A little bar microclimate. I'm into it. Whoa, next level. You need to stop um, doing yourself, uh, Esther. Yeah, I know. Uh, Cheers. As I have to the windows. To the wall. To the wall. Um. All right, dudes. Well, I'm gonna stop now because I have a Zoom cocktail at 4:30. Can we come? You. Doesn't surprise me. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy. Love you. Bye, Bye. guys. Bye.